Amen. I don't know what happened out there. It was a major accident. We probably ought to pray for them right now. Father, we just pray for whoever was in that accident that your spirit will comfort them, heal them, let them sense your presence at this very moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to get into Galatians tonight. Now, have you thought or has it occurred to you that Wednesday night is Bible school? Kind of like Bible school. Some of you wanted to go to seminary. Some of you want to go to Bible school. You either didn't have the time or the money. Well, welcome to Wednesday nights. Next best thing to it. So we're going through the Word of God. We got to know that Bible. The more you know it, the less chance you're going to be deceived or stumble. You're going to grow in God because faith comes from hearing the Word of God. Not just a few pet verses, all the Word of God. So tonight we're uh, moving through chapter 5. We're going to get into some juicy stuff. I got to tell you, I'm looking forward to it. And every week I want to share the next week because I study a week ahead. I wish I could share next week's now, but I can't. We got to cover now. But let's pray together and ask God to open our understanding to the Word of God. Father, in Jesus' name. We ask you to speak to us tonight, to open our understanding, to illuminate our spirits, and Lord, strengthen our faith. Open Galatians to us, Lord, for you by the Holy Spirit gave us this letter that we might grow thereby. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to me tonight. In the mighty name of Jesus, I receive your word. Amen. Now I want you to turn to your neighbor, not your spouse, your neighbor, and say, Oh, taste and see that the word is good. <clears throat> Amen. You know, um, we really, the, the, the church, our church is, is growing so quickly that, that I think some people like who come to Saturday night don't know who's coming on Sunday morning, and some on Sunday morning don't know who's coming on Saturday night. You know that last week, just in one week, we had 2,200 people in this church in just one week. And then uh, last weekend, we had 1,750 on the weekend. Now, let me tell you what that means. I'll tell you the best part. 18 people came to Christ. 18 people. And isn't that a blessing? That makes it all worth it. That's why we're here. And I told our life leaders uh, last Sunday at a little luncheon we had, a church that's not having babies, something's not right. Now, I don't mean physical babies, although we're having those too. Not me, but we're having those, but spiritual babies. Amen? All right, now, uh-oh, clicker's not working. I wonder why. You know, this clicker needs to get saved. There we go. There we go. Last time we looked at the two natures inside of each Christian. We're not schizophrenic, but we do have two natures inside of us. They are the flesh, which is the fallen nature we inherited through great, 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 great granddaddy Adam, also called the old man. And then there is inside of us also who are saved, not in everybody, but those who have been saved, the new man. Thank God for the new man which came as a result of the entry of the Holy Spirit into our spirit at the very moment we were saved. The minute you said, Jesus, I believe, forgive me my sin, in came the Holy Spirit. And he touched our formerly dead spirit man, and we were lifed, quickened, brought to life spiritually for the first time in our life. Hence, you must be born again or you will never see the kingdom of God. It's a fact. That's why Buddha can't save you. Muhammad can't save you. Krishna can't save you. You name the world religion and its leader, they can't save you. Only one can. Because only one, Jesus Christ, can give you the new birth. Now, uh, the moment we were saved, the Spirit of God came to live inside of us. Now, watch this. These two natures are at war with each other. How many of you felt that today? 
How many felt it on the way here? When you hit that, yeah. As Paul wrote in Galatians, watch this. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. All right, that means that the spirit of God inside of you is desiring things the flesh doesn't desire. And the flesh man inside of you, that old man, is desiring things that the spirit doesn't desire for you. So they're at war with each other so that you can't do everything you want to go do. You can only do and should only do what the spirit of God wants you to do. Now, every child of God has a daily choice. This is, this is Christianity 101. To walk in the flesh or to walk in the Spirit, it's a daily, moment-by-moment moment choice. To sow to the flesh or to sow to the Spirit, which we talked about last weekend. Paul tells us bluntly in verse 16, read it with me, everybody, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, there you have it. There you have it. If you walk in the Spirit, you will not fulfill what the flesh is prompting you to do. Now, another version puts it, let your conduct be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And another way of putting it is, live your whole life in the Spirit. All right? This is, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion, though Christianity is not a religion. But since it's always compared to one, let me be clear. This shows us that God gave a supernatural power to the believer in Jesus Christ to live a life we could never have lived without that power. Every other religion says, you've got to do it. Christianity says, let me do it through you. All right? Very important. Now, so the remedy for walking in the flesh is to walk in the power of God's Spirit. God has put one answer for the flesh. Kill it. Everybody say kill it. Yeah, kill that flesh. God has one answer for the flesh man, that old man that, that, that we inherited from Adam, and that is it must be crucified. All right? We're not to debate with our flesh. We're not to coddle it. We're not to appease it. We're not to make a truce with it. Well, okay, most everything else in my life is okay, so I'll just make a truce with, with this one area that I just can't seem to get under control. No, no, never make a truce with the flesh. The minute you do, you suffer defeat. Crucify the flesh. Kill it dead. Y'all are too grim for me tonight. Smile a little bit. God gave you the power living inside of you. The Holy Spirit is the only way you will ever crucify the flesh. The flesh is to be killed, crucified by the indwelling Spirit of God. Now let's look at what uh, Paul said in Romans about this very same thing because Pauline doctrine or teaching is the same throughout the New Testament. So here you go. Read it with me. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, let me clarify again. God is, when, when we say flesh, we don't mean your body. Your body is good. God made the body. And what did he say when he made man? He said, it is good. So God, the, the, the human body, David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And he wasn't on an ego trip. He was just saying, the human body and he didn't know what we know now about atoms and cells and the incredible machinery that makes up the human body. He just knew by revelation. The body is an amazing invention. We're not talking about the body. The flesh is that fallen part of you that gravitates to sin. It is what we inherited from Adam where we naturally, easily, by nature, sin. No one has to teach us to sin. We know it all by ourselves, okay? So that's what he's talking about, the deeds of the body, the sinful deeds of the body that he's going to list for us in just a minute. So if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, 
you will live. For as many, read this with me, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. How many of you are led by the Spirit? Amen. How many of you have the Spirit of God in you? All right, because of Jesus Christ. And I know what you're thinking. Well, pastor, I'm led sometimes. Other times I get in the flesh. We all do. Okay? But the bottom line is this. Either walk in the flesh or walk in the Spirit. It's one or the other each and every day. That's why you've got to start your day, at least I do, with the Word. Because it sets the direction of your mind and your spirit for the rest of the day. Have you noticed that if you don't do it, you're playing catch up the rest of the day, trying to catch up to the Lord? If you run out the door, uh, having watched a little bit of Good Morning America, which is the worst thing you could do, Try Good Morning Jesus and forget Good Morning America. Seriously. Get with God. Now, the potential for holy living is now ours because of the cleansing power of the blood of Christ and the permanent residing or residency of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Victorious Christian living all boils down to a matter of obedience. Have you noticed that? of yielding to the Holy Spirit, of making ourselves available to Him, moment by moment, situation by situation, decision by decision. Victorious Christian living is a matter of right when you've got that choice, you're tempted to go flesh, and you know you can also go spirit. You've got a decision to make, and you can just stop and breathe deep and say, Holy Spirit, I yield to you. I yield to you right now. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to lust. I'm not going to be full of fear. I'm not going to feed that habit, but I'm going to walk in the Spirit. I'm, I make the decision right here, and as soon as you say that, you say, Spirit of God, I yield to you, He strengthens you. He's there. He's right there. And you will find that He takes over when you just get out of the way. And we can't emphasize enough, oh, church, please hear me on this, a daily devotional time spent with him in the word and prayer is essential if you're going to walk in the Spirit. Let me put it another way. Without this daily habit, walking in the Spirit is highly unlikely. If you don't develop a daily time with God, I'm going to tell you, you're probably not going to walk in the Spirit. You're going to hit and miss. You're going to be in and out, good and bad, on and off, hot and cold, if you don't develop a daily time with God. <clears throat> what did Jesus say in John 15? I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides occasionally in me, no, he who abides in me, what does it say? He who abides in me will bring forth fruit. He who abides in me. Well, that doesn't take any work. Look at any branch. And go up and ask that branch, are you having to work to stay plugged into the trunk of this tree? No, I'm just hanging. And as long as I just hang and, and stay plugged in, the, the, the fruit that flows through that trunk flows through me. Whatever the trunk has, I get. If I just abide in that trunk or in that vine, abide in me and let my words abide in you, and you will ask whatever you want, and it shall be done for you. So, so this Christian life, church, is not a matter of us do, 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 perform, perform, perform. It's a matter of you get up and you say, Lord, I'm here to connect with you today so that I can abide in the vine all day long. And when I have decisions between flesh and spirit, I am going to be obedient to the spirit of God and yield to his promptings and walk in the spirit. And when I make that decision, he's right there. Poof, he's right there to strengthen you. It's not complicated. It is not a complex philosophy of life. Jesus made it simple so the simplest among us can understand it. We don't forget to feed our bodies, do we? A lot of us love that verse, buffet your body. I buffet my body. Paul said that. He meant buffet, but a lot of Christians take it otherwise. Look at the restaurants after church on Sunday. It's church folk. 
and they are buffeting their body at the buffet. We know to eat. And we know to drink water. We know to drink so that we will not die of thirst. We must have those two things to live. But guess what? Believe me when I tell you it's the same with your daily intake of Scripture and time spent with God. Now, you may not believe that. But if you don't spend time with God regularly, the leaf of your spiritual life is going to wilt and dry up and turn brown. You'll still be saved, but you're limping, you're weak, you're anemic, you're losing battles, you're not having victory because you're only as strong as your last time with God. Didn't Jesus say, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God? Didn't he say that? Let me ask you, did he mean it? Do you believe that? Then we can't get away from him, can we? We cannot go without spending time with God in the word and in prayer if we're going to be strong. What I love about the scriptures, Luke 180 and Luke 240, it says John the Baptist grew mighty in his spirit and Jesus grew mighty in his spirit, man. That's how they grew up. They were Herculean on the inside. I don't know about you, but I do know that I enjoy life when I'm strong in my inner man. Okay, we have to do this, church, if we're going to be successful, victorious, and influential for Jesus. And if you're going to bear fruit, abide in the vine every day. Get in that vine and pull from the life that is flowing through it. Now, the word for walk, when he says walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh, is peripateo. That doesn't matter to you. That's the Greek word. But I, I just wanted you to see it because it's very meaningful. It includes, the, it includes the whole round of our human activities. Peripateo. It really means as you walk about in all of your life, as you are walking through all of life, in every realm of life, walk around full of the spirit. It refers to our outward life, which people all around us can see. It is everywhere we go and everything we do. Walk in the Spirit at all times, in all places, and in all circumstances. Walk in the Spirit everywhere. Walk around. Walk about in the Spirit. Now, the word walk also insinuates progress. If I'm walking, I'm going somewhere. If I'm walking, I'm getting somewhere. We walk one step at a time. Our progress might not be fast, but it should be steady. We should, every one of us in here who are saved, we should be growing. If you're not growing, something's wrong. If you have a child, he hits four or five years old and he quits growing. You go to the doctor, say, what's wrong? Why isn't he growing or she growing? Is it any different spiritually? No, he says, walk in the Spirit, stay abiding in the vine, because you ought to be progressing, not necessarily at lightning speed, but steadily we ought to be growing. You ought to be more like Jesus today than you were a year ago. We might stumble and fall, but we should repent if that happens, stand back up, and keep moving backward. I'm sorry, I read it wrong. Forward. Right? So if you have fallen and stumbled, don't get a violin and go home and stay out of church and get out of prayer and say boo-hoo. Forgive yourself. Let God forgive you and get back in the race and get back in quickly. Quit having a pity party. I won't come. God doesn't show up at pity parties either. Have you ever noticed that? We invite other people who are having pity parties and we think the Lord's going to sit there and cry with us. And there's nobody there but us pity party people walking in the flesh. Now, as, the, as to the flesh lusting against the Spirit, so that the two are at war with each other, I want you to consider for a minute that in Scripture we find that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are continuously found to be paired off against the world, the flesh, and the devil. This is really intriguing to me. Watch this. First, God the Father and the world are diametrically opposed to each other. Do you realize that? 
Now, let me be clear about something. When I say the world, I don't mean the beautiful creation, the world that I love. I love God's creation. I don't worship it, but I'm very thankful for it. I love all the creatures, the birds, the critters, the creeping, crawling things, the trees, the stars. The I, I love what God made. I am amazed at what God made. But when we say the world, we're not talking about that. We're talking about the world system behind which is the devil. The world system that is guided by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We're talking about a, a wicked world system that is fueled by the enemy of our soul. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the world. Now, John went so far as to tell us, if any man love what, everybody? If any man love that wicked, flesh-driven system, the love of the Father is not in him. There's no way you can be saved and love this flesh-driven, wicked, godless, Christ-rejecting world system. No way. It vexes me every day. I understand what it says about Lot. Lot's soul was vexed daily by the filthy manner of life of the men of Sodom. Do you know that it said that? We got a case of the no-nods tonight. Y'all, let's try this. It's been a long day, I know. Now try this. Did y'all know that? Okay. I'm just playing with you, trying to wake you up a little bit. Now look what it says. For all that is in the world, now there's a little ellipsis there, but I can fill it in. All that is in the world, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life, which means I don't need God, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. Now, James was even stronger on this point. Watch this. He says, you, and he's talking to church people. You adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with that wicked world system makes you an enemy of God? Woo! James, punch, punch. Now, I want that to sink in for a minute. John said, don't love that world, that wicked world system. Don't love it. If you love it, you're not the friend of God, or, or you're not, uh, don't have the love of God in you. But here James says, you adulterers and adulteresses, he's talking about people who knew the Lord, but they were committing spiritual adultery by loving the world more than Christ. He says, don't you know friendship? with this world makes you the enemy of God. And what does that tell us about God? God and the world are at odds. God and that wicked world system that is fueled by the devil are at odds. Do you see that? Okay, good. Now, I say it again. Look what he says. I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So catch this, church. The Father and the world are totally opposed to each other. You love the Father you're not going to love that world system. If you love that world system, you really can't walk with the Father. In the same way, Jesus, the Son of God, is the special adversary of the devil. Throughout the entire Old Testament, we find Satan constantly trying to prevent the birth of Christ. Through genocide of the Jewish race, many times in the Old Testament, the devil tried to wipe out the whole Jewish race to stop the arrival of Messiah. Now, he did this by, also did this by corrupting the Hebrew people and the Davidic lineage that it almost needed to be destroyed. It got yay close several times in the Old Testament where the Hebrew race would have been wiped out and therefore Messiah, the bruiser of Satan's head, would never have arrived. God had predicted this adversarial relationship between Christ and the devil in Genesis 3.15. 
And I consider Genesis 3.15 the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. He says to the devil, when he is judging Adam and Eve, he appears also to the devil and pronounces judgment on him. And part of it was this. I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, he said to Satan, and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head. That means a death blow. And you will bruise his heel, which Satan did to Jesus on the cross when the nail went through it. God is telling the devil, someone's coming down the line. And when he's born, when he arrives, he's going to deal a death blow to you. And you're going to end up bruising his heel. Even in the New Testament, Satan tried to have the baby Jesus murdered at Nazareth through the wicked edict of Herod. What was the devil after using old Herod? He was out to stop Jesus from growing up. He was trying to kill the Messiah before he had a chance to grow and get anointed and go out and do his ministry. And so he does with you and I. Satan tries to take you out. I call it the devil's last stand. You show me somebody that comes to Jesus and you watch. It won't be long before there is a major attack against that person. And what are they trying to do? What's the devil trying to do? He's trying to take them out before they have a chance to grow. He wants to take them out and stop them before they mature and become a danger to his kingdom. Same devil. Now, John reveals that the sole purpose of the Son of God was, read it with me now, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came. So God is in conflict with the world. Jesus in conflict with the, the devil. But guess what? Along the same line, the Holy Spirit is always revealed as the special adversary of our flesh. We see this fact as far back as the flood. God said in the flood, quote, and what a, what a word this was. The Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive. What does he say the spirit of God's doing? Striving with who? Man, for he is also what? So there you have the spirit striving with flesh all the way back in the antediluvian world before the flood ever came and wiped out the planet. The spirit was striving with the flesh. And I'm going to tell you something, church. <clears throat> the day is going to come sooner than later where the last person is going to get saved. The last gospel message is going to be preached. And God is going to say, I'm no longer going to strive with man. The rapture is going to happen and the tribulation is going to be brought in and it's going to be hell on earth. I believe God's reaching that place again because Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the son of man. How it was in the days of Noah? God said, I'm not going to strive with flesh much longer. 120 years from this statement, the flood fell. In explaining to Nicodemus the need for the new birth, Jesus said, that which is born of the flesh is what? And that which is born of the spirit is? Amen. Paul wrote, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if the spirit of God dwells in you. So good news tonight, church. You are not in the flesh, but you are in the spirit. The spirit is in you. If you are his. Amen. And so we see God, the father at war with the world. God the Son at war with the devil, and God the Holy Spirit at war with the flesh. So we come back to our text. Look at it. The flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit desires what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. It's like I told you what liberty is. Liberty is not the freedom to do whatever you want. It's the power to do what you ought. It's the power to do what you should. And so we've got this battle going on. You know, this week, I don't know what it is. I guess when you're a pastor, this happens. But um, 
several people gave us cake. I'm serious. And I, and I mean real, mouth-watering, calorie-infested cake. Several different kinds that all said, they all spoke, every one of them, you really have to at least try me. After all, they made it in love, and they're going to ask you if you tried me. You. And so I tried. I did. I tried some. I did. And, but it got to a point where I realized I should stop. You know that feeling. And, 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 and I knew God was saying to me, whoa there, Bubba, back off. You don't have to eat all of it. But Lord, they made it in love. And, and, and I know this sounds silly, but I really did. I had a moment where I had to say, I yield to the Holy Ghost. And walked away and left it sitting there calling to me as I walked out the door. I thought of that when I read the last part of this, so that you are not to do whatever your flesh wants. And it's the same with all of life. I don't care what your weakness is, the Holy Spirit will say to you, lay it down. The flesh will say, pick it up. And you have a choice. And when you say, Holy Spirit, I yield to you, he's right there to help you to walk away shut the door, and leave it. That's Christianity. There it is. So there is to be a commitment to walking in the Spirit. Now read verse 18 with me. <clears throat> but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Once again, here comes Paul, who wants us to understand that living a holy life is not achieved by self-effort or by trying to keep the law. It's achieved by responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. There you have it. Holy living is not achieved by doing, but by being. Victory in Christ comes by daily cooperation with the Holy Spirit who lives within you. And let me tell you something about him. The more you obey him, the easier you will hear him. The more you quickly say yes, the more sensitive you will be to his next instruction, his next prompting, his next guidance. And when you say no and resist him, your ears become dull and you become very attuned to your flesh instead of the Spirit of God living in you. Not where you want to be. Now next comes one of those lists Paul is so good at. He piles up word after word to expose the evil nature of man for what it is. Now, let me tell you the truth tonight, church, about man who has not been saved. You know the book, and I quote this book pretty often, I'm okay, you're okay. It's not true. Man without God is not okay. And I'm going to go a little step further, and some of you aren't going to like this because it's not politically correct, but I hate political correctness because it makes you not tell the truth. It muzzles you. And I think it's killing our country. But that's another story. Um, man, unsaved, can be a monster. Man, unsaved, is the enemy of God. Man, unsaved, is in the depths of sin. Man, unsaved, is headed straight for hell if the blood of Christ does not cover his lost soul. He's about to tell us the truth about you and me. Now, <clears throat> following this list, he's going to show us the results of walking in the Spirit. We won't get there tonight. But I want to look at the results of the flesh. Now, he's going to name 17 works of the flesh. He classifies them as the, as I just said, the works of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's talking about the drive to do it. But the works of the flesh are the actual actions that are the result of the lust of the flesh. And they can be categorized in three ways. Here we go. Are you all ready? Turn to your neighbor and say, are you really sure? 
First, there are sexual sins. Now, look what he says in verse 19. The works of the flesh are evident, which are four uh, sexual sins. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness. Now, notice that he says, all of these sins are evident. The works of the flesh are evident. And that is, they are open, they are obvious, and they are well known. Now, as I read these and we look at these, I want you to understand that our culture right now is telling us the exact opposite of what we're about to read. Our culture is telling us that if we believe what I'm about to show you, then we are bigoted, narrow-minded, ignorant, unschooled, not with it, not enlightened. You need to know that the Word of God right here stands full face against the teaching of our current culture. That's why for some of you, when I go into it, you're going to be going, huh, I don't know if I agree with that because that's not what I saw in Good Morning America. So here we go. The first sin in the list is adultery. We know what adultery is. It's sex between a married person and someone to whom they aren't married. That's simple. We know that, right? Next comes fornication. Now, the Greek word used for fornication is pornea, from which we get the English word, guess what? Pornography, pornea, fornication, Greek word pornea. Now, Here's what the Bible teaches. The only legitimate sexual activity identified in Scripture is that between a husband and wife. Scripture teaches. Go into any, gosh, you can go all the way down to elementary school now where they're teaching children to have sex. You think I'm kidding? Do you know that a preschool was shut down in California a couple of weeks ago? Because five- and six-year-olds were having sex? Do you know that? Absolutely true. Where'd they get that? It is a culture that is spiraling by the hour into the abyss. You know why? Because we've thrown the Word of God out. And when you throw the Word of God out, you open a very, very dark and dangerous door. So let's look at this now. Is God a killjoy? Is God does not want people to have fun? Does God, I mean, is he just kind of a party pooper? Does he not understand us that we can't help it? No. Do you know that when the sexual revolution began in the 1960s, there were two STDs? I think they were syphilis and gonorrhea. There were two. You know that now there are 36 goodies that you will encounter that are out there lurking, waiting for those who don't obey the Scriptures and say, well, you know what? You only live once. I'm going to go live the way my flesh wants me to. And they don't yield to the promptings of the Spirit as children of God. Now, God never commands something but what is for our protection. I promise you, he doesn't. So God says legitimate sexual activities between a husband and wife. So the word pornea is, is not just for male-female sex before marriage, but pornea is used for general, all-encompassing sexual activity outside of God's will, and it includes sex between unmarried people, homosexuality, bestiality, incest, and so on. Pornea is the all-encompassing word used for sexual sin. So catch this now. God says, give your body to me. He says in 1 Corinthians, he says, glorify God in your body because you were bought with a price. You are, you are owned by Christ. So, listen, if, if, if all that you've got is, well, I just need to say no, you don't have enough understanding. You need to understand the way God looks at it. God looks at it like this. 
I own you. You are my precious possession. And so I want you to exercise self-control when it comes to sexual sin. Now, is he out there with furrowed brow and steam coming out of his ears and just can't wait for somebody to go off into sexual sin so he can throw some disease on him? No. The disease is always the result of breaking natural law. It's, it's breaking barrier. Like, boy, am I going in here. But there's nothing natural about homosexuality. Now, am I a bigot for saying that? No. I'm not a bigot for saying that. Am I a hater for saying that? No. Let me ask you a question. If you smoked, and I come up to you and said, you know, I love you, and, and can I just please encourage you to quit smoking? Am I a hater? Am I a nicophobe? Because I say, don't smoke? Does that make me a nicophobe? I have a dread fear of nicotine? No. How have we been so brainwashed that we can't simply communicate that we think something is wrong without being labeled a hater or a bigot? If I love you, I, I will talk to you about that smoking habit. Say, please stop, stop. I'll pay you to stop. I'll buy you a nick of gum or whatever the stuff is that you chew. I'll get you the patch. And the only reason I'm talking to you that way is because I love you. I don't want to see you get lung cancer and die. And yet, you can talk to somebody about a sexually destructive lifestyle, and you're a bigot, and you're a hater. I reject that. I reject that whole politically correct notion. That is not true. If I don't love you, I will say nothing while you self-destruct. So God says, your body is mine. Glorify me in your body. Now, the next word is uncleanness. Now, this time the word used is akatharsia. We get cathartic from that, which means impurity. Now, look at akatharsia. You see that word? See the A in front of it? Do you, do you see the A in front of it? In front of akatharsia? All right. In front of katharsia, an A is always put to, to make something a negative in the Greek language. So cathartic means to purify. So if it's acathartic, it means impure, to make you impure. So when he says uncleanness, it, is, it means impurity. It suggests those things that make a person unfit to approach God. Those things that stain, taint, or defile a person. It points to a general state of mental impurity. Now Paul addresses this very thing in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1. Listen what he says. Quote, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile, he names two things, our body and our spirit. Let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. Now notice two things can be defiled. Your body by giving it over to sexual impurity or whatever, and your spirit. Watch this. Have you ever read something, and when you put it down, you felt dirty? You ever watched something, and when you turned it off, you felt dirty? Okay. <clears throat> We're going to get there tonight. Have you, have you ever said something? And after you said it, you felt dirty. Okay, you know what happened? Your spirit was defiled. Pornography will defile your spirit. A, a nasty comedy on ABC, CBS, NBC can defile the spirit of the child of God. A lost person can watch that stuff and, oh, isn't that funny? But the child of God says, you know, that bothered me. Something about that just made me feel wrong. You know what that is? That's the Spirit of God inside of you. Now, these women, they go grab Cosmo off the shelf. Boy, you talk about a... I'm sorry, I'm on the radio here. You talk about a pipeline to worldly godlessness. 
Not that I read Cosmo all the time. I just, I've read about it. I know what's in it. But these women, Christian women will go get a Cosmo and go read it and then wonder, why do I not feel right? Because the Spirit of God inside of you says, I need the Word. I need righteous input. I need your eye gate and your ear gate and your mouth gate to be dealing with righteous material. It's quiet in here tonight. We're dealing with the flesh. (laughs) So, ladies and gentlemen, if it makes you feel dirty, something in it was defiling. And so we need to pray that God will forgive us and cleanse us of all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, finally, there's lasciviousness. What a word. Can you say that with me? Lasciviousness. Now, that also stems from the word akatharsia, same verb, family. Lasciviousness. It means wantonness or licentiousness. There's another great big King James Version word. But watch this. Here's what it means. It describes the person who is so abandoned to lust that he simply does not care what people think or say anymore. All restraint is cast aside. There's no more shame No more fear, no more embarrassment. The way Jeremiah the prophet puts it about Israel, that he was pronouncing judgment over, they have forgotten how to blush. There's no more ability to blush. I don't have anything to blush about. I'll do whatever I want. What I'm doing is fine. Somebody blind says that. So so when you talk about lasciviousness, what Paul is listing here is something that, that, uh, where you just say, I don't care anymore. I don't care what people think. I'm going to live the way I want. I have no shame about it. I don't care. You have to think there of those that march in gay parades who openly flaunt their perversion in front of children, television cameras, you name it. They don't care anymore. They're not the only ones, but it's such an out there example that I I had to think of it. They don't care anymore. There's no shame, no embarrassment, no blushing at all. Interestingly, in the Greek New Testament, This word is used to describe unclean demon spirits. There is little doubt that the works of the flesh that exhibit such behavior have behind them evil spirits. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, rulers of the darkness of this world. It is from evil spirit influences. And when it comes to lasciviousness, there, there, is, there is a presence behind it. So notice there's a progression here. First, there is sexual sin, then a general state of mental impurity, and finally it leads down to a scornful disregard of all things decent and all things wholesome. Sin always progresses downward, and I've got a question for you tonight. Where is America here? We're in trouble, folks, without a move of God. We're in trouble because America can't blush anymore. America doesn't think that wrong is wrong anymore. Matter of fact, America says that wrong is right and that right is actually wrong. Woe, said Isaiah, to those people. Now, after these first four sexual sins, we come to spiritual sins, sins of a more religious nature. Do you know the flesh is incurably religious? Paul mentions mentions first idolatry, and then he mentions witchcraft in chapter 5, verse 20. Idolatry and witchcraft. Now, we may not think of idolatry as one of the works of the flesh, but it is. It represents religious flesh at its worst. Look at this. Imagine this. The unregenerate man makes an idol out of wood or stone or steel or whatever, and then he falls down in front of something he made and worships it. (laughs) He worships what he just made. Hey, dude, that's not God. You made it. You want to worship somebody who made you. Now, (laughs) watch this taking it a step further to make it relevant to our day, 
Look at a throng of thousands, how they celebrate, exalt, and literally worship a rock star or a politician. It's scary to watch. I mean, you've been to a rock concert somewhere in your life, most of you. Did you ever notice the way those guys are worshipped? They lift their hands to them. They exalt them. They promote them. They glorify them. They give themselves to them. That's worship. It satisfies their craving to have a visible, tangible God because they are separated from the real God. When a person or a people separate from the real God, they will find something somewhere, somehow to worship. And they always choose something that is not worship-worthy. Behind all idolatry, did you know this, are demons, invisible evil spirits, give power to idolatry. This is how dumb idols of wood, stone, or charismatic personalities in our day have the ability to hold countless millions of people in their thrall. How do they do it? Demons are involved. I'm convinced. Those who worship idols worship demons. You say, Pastor Jeff, where did you get that? I'm going to show you right here. In talking to the Corinthians about idolatry, Paul writes, quote, what am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice to idols, they sacrifice really to demons and not to God. And then Paul says, I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. Woo. Now, who is he talking to? Save people. I don't want you save folks having fellowship with the devil. Because behind idols, there's demons. And then there is witchcraft. This word is from the Greek word pharmakia, literally sorcery. What word do we get out of pharmakia? Pharmacy. What is it telling us? That sorcery or witchcraft and drugs work together. There is a satanic presence behind drugs. Matter of fact, if you, want to, if you want to meet the devil, get involved in drugs. If you want the door swung wide open to the dark world of Satan, get involved in drugs. Because pharmakia means sorcery. Drugs, sorcery, connected. This may help explain the profound addiction experienced by drug abusers. They're under the power of demons. They don't realize it. They're under the power of demons, and the only way to get set free, really free, is by Christ, who's stronger than the demons. The empty soul of man, estranged from God, craves contact with the supernatural. And evil spirits are all too willing to comply. Hence, from time immemorial, witches, mediums, psychics of all sorts, astrologers, necromancers, which means communicators with the dead, and soothsayers have offered people contact with the unseen world. These practices are exceedingly dangerous. They open the door to demon possession, depression, suicidal thoughts, and even insanity. If you've got a Ouija board in your house, and you've been wondering why you feel heavy, go get it tonight and burn that baby. Stand back, it's going to hiss. I'm amazed at how some believers have occult stuff in their home and don't know it. Uh, horoscopes? I hope you don't read the daily horoscopes. That's a cult. We need wisdom, don't we? <clears throat> now, the final category, and we're going to go through these very quickly, is in Paul's list is social sins. Read them with me, would you? They are hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Quickly, hatred, the opposite of love. It describes the person who entertains and nurtures hostility towards others. They nurture it. Contentions. This means strife or quarrelsomeness. We've heard of a contentious home or a contentious church or a contentious marriage. Jealousies. Do you know the Greek word for jealousy comes from zealos, which we get zeal from? So it means intense emotion. 
Jealousy describes bitter animosity and resentment over the blessings of someone else. And I mean, jealousy is a burning sensation. I think jealousy is the most tormenting emotion of all. It's terrible. Boy, it'll just, it'll just put the hurt on you. Now, outbursts. This describes hot anger and passion. It comes from the Greek word thumos, which means a sudden explosion of anger. It follows hard on the heels of jealousy. What are you doing with that? I should have that. How did you get that promotion? I'm the anointed and the appointed. I deserve that more than you. You get jealous, and then, boy, it doesn't take much to pull that trigger, figuratively speaking. We know it is a bad temper, and if you've got a bad temper, it's like anything. When you get tempted to go that way in the flesh, say, Holy Spirit, I yield to you. I feel like blowing, but I yield to you. And you will find, whoosh, peace comes. You learn how to be mad, according to the Proverbs. You learn how to respond to stress with anger. You unlearn it. Same way. Selfish ambition. This points to ambition or rivalry, and it's one of the fruits of jealousy. How did they get that car? How did they get that house? Bless God, I'm going to make as much money as they made, and I'm going to have what they have. And we become selfishly ambitious to keep up with the Joneses. You ought to live with the Joneses for a weekend. You wouldn't want to be like them anymore. <laughs> now, dissensions. This is that spirit that involves itself in church splits. Factions. It is divisive. And then there's heresies. We know what that is. False teaching, contrary to sound doctrine. Then there's envy. Now, what is the difference between envy and jealousy? Jealousy desires what somebody else has. Envy simply wishes they would lose it. That's the difference. That is the difference. You know, <clears throat> those folks who say, Lord, if you just released fire from heaven and vaporized them, I would not mind. <laughs> you got your ears wide open to hear any news that they lost it. Jealousy. I want what you've got. I want your wife. I want your husband. I want your car. I want your house. Envy says, I just hope it all blows up. That's where murder comes from. Do you know what it says in the Bible? It was from envy they delivered Jesus over. Murder, we know that one, the first sin after the fall. Drunkenness. Sipping saints. <laughs> I'm just trying to have a little bit of levity here tonight. Don't take me so seriously. Sipping saints. Oh, Lord, bless this funny drink I paid $20 for. <laughs> bless it. Overindulgence in alcoholic drink. You know what I feel about it. And you can take it or leave it, chew the meat, spit out the bones. But I think every sip, you increase your chances of a bad decision. Revelries. Revelries. Always in close company with drunkenness. It means orgies or carousing. Party and hearty. Get drunk. You do things, say things, go places you would never do. Ever straight. What a list. What a portrait the Holy Spirit has drawn of man in sin. Put all together, here we go. What a fine fellow this is. We see a person that is adulterous, foul, given over to idolatry and witchcraft, a hateful, quarrelsome, jealous, and bad-tempered person who causes dissensions, is murderous, habitually drunk, and depraved. Somebody just said, that sounds like my spouse. No, I'm just, don't say that. Don't say that. Oh, that sounds like my ex. Whatever. Such is the flesh, folks. Is it any wonder we must be born again? Such is the flesh and the fleshly person apart from God's redemption. Let's stand together, can we? Next time, we're going to talk about something way better. 
the glorious fruits of the Spirit. How many of you are glad you're redeemed? Oh, what a list. How many of you were in at least one or two of those at some time in your life? The rest of you, did I mention lying? Deception? All right. Father, we thank you for your blessing. We thank you for the honesty of your word. How will we ever see our need for a Savior unless we admit the truth about our own sin? So, Lord, we ask you right now tonight. First of all, we thank you that grace knocked on our door. And we repented. And you came in and live inside of us. Help us, Lord, to actually walk in the Spirit daily, hourly, to feed that Spirit man regularly, faithfully, and help us to choose to walk in that Spirit instead of to go the way of the flesh, to abide in the vine. Can we lift our hands to him? And just say, Lord, help me to do it. Help me to do what I've heard tonight. Help me to live it. Help me to live it, Lord. Thank you, Lord.